It takes years to know what you're going to want to use to finish a project. Does it need an orbital polisher? Or will good old elbow grease do the trick? But now that you're an expert, you're going to want a provider that knows how to serve an expert. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit Worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the July 29th, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Craig Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today has been covering the automotive labor scene since he started with our company, so he's intimately familiar with the goings-on at Unifor, where former President Jerry Diaz stepped down just before allegations he accepted $50,000 from a supplier of COVID-19 rapid tests with the promise he'd push them on companies that employed Unifor members. It's been a wild ride this year for the country's largest private sector union, which represents about 40,000 in the automotive industry. But a presidential election is looming, and my guest is here to update us on the situation, break down the candidates, explains what happens next, and what the first order of business might be for a new national president. Automotive News Canada Toronto Bureau Chief David Kennedy will give us some insight on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. David, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. Always great. It's been a while. Let's start with this. Where are we at in the Unifor saga? Is there anything new? Has anything changed? Sort of set the table for us now as we're about two weeks out from an election. Yeah, sure. Well, as you said, uh, we are just about two weeks out at this point from the Constitutional Convention. Uh, and I mean, this happens every three years, so it's uh, it's a pretty rare event. And uh, obviously, this one is uh, rarer than any, uh, simply because of the, the lead-up we've had over the past uh, five months or so. Uh, nothing uh, Over the last couple of months, nothing has changed uh, too much. Uh, basically, we've just been uh, heading towards this showdown between the candidates that we have after uh, there was a cancellation, essentially, of uh, what was supposed to have been a special convention uh, to replace Jerry Diaz as president, but that got called off, you know, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but partly because uh, the this constitutional convention would need to have happened anyway, so there would have been two votes had that vote gone ahead. So the leadership essentially decided, somewhat controversially, I should add, to nix that plan to have a second election, uh, and that's where we're headed. Where so now we're headed to the the vote uh, for the be a vote for president, as well as a vote for all of the elected leadership uh, sort of across the country that Unifor has. I mean, the, the thing about nixing that sort of interim election, the one that would have happened or could have or should have happened under constitutional rules for Unifor, that was decided upon. That wasn't like it was one person made that decision. I mean, Unifor went this route, correct? Yeah, so it's the National Executive Board that made the decision. And, you know, it's a 25 member or so, uh, minus Jerry Diaz uh, in this circumstance, uh, body that uh, sort of made up of the leadership of a variety of uh, the elected leaders and a number of other sort of leadership positions within the union. So, yeah, it was a joint decision that was made. But at the same time, uh, you know, they did. It is fairly clear, at least in my opinion, in their constitution that uh, if that post was vacant for more than 30 days with more than 180 days uh, to go before the election uh, or before the the convention, they needed to uh, hold a special convention to 
replace the president. Uh, and, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, if you're going by the letter of the law, so to speak, uh, they, they did vote to go against it. So uh, certainly there was some uh, contentiousness there the, and uh, some dissent within uh, within the leadership itself. Uh, and, you know, we saw that as well. They recently sort of in an effort for transparency, the National Executive Board voted to release uh, the meeting minutes uh, for the NEB uh, for the past four or five months. And, you know, we can see, we can see that in the minutes that, uh, you know, that there were some controversial decisions made along the way, uh, that being one of them that, you know, led to some uh, dissent at the top, uh, so to speak. I wanted to ask you about that. What is the mood like at Unifor right now, as best you can tell? And granted, you and I, we sort of only hear and see from the automotive side at the union, and it represents all sorts of sectors across the country. But what is it like from where you sit and how you cover this? What's the mood like among the members or the executives or the locals? Because you're in a lot of contact with these folks for a lot of other reasons as well. I'm just wondering what the mood's like at Unifor. In many senses, it's, uh, you know, get back to business. I think that's the that's the hope of sort of the rank and file anyway, that, you know, uh, this is certainly hanging over the union and there's no question about that. But uh, the sense I get is that uh, most people just want to get back to doing the work that they are actually there to do uh, and not dealing with some of the fallout that they've had to over the past few months. Uh, that said, uh, you can see the division, uh, particularly within those meeting minutes uh, of some of the controversial decisions that are coming from the top uh, and just working through sort of an unprecedented situation. There's just no, there's clearly no good answers in some of these cases, uh, but it's it's just tough to say. And of course, there's criticism. It's, it's easy to criticize these days, whether or not it's on Facebook, Twitter, or anywhere else. Uh, you know, just typical members have uh, a voice. You know, it's easy for them to write some comments uh, and, you know, show their disapproval more often than approval uh, on those mediums anyway. And, it, and it's very clear that there's just uh, there's division. Uh, and so we'll see if this uh, convention and the uh, election of a new president uh, sort of puts that to bed. So two weeks out, who's running to replace Jerry? Tell us just a bit about each candidate in the field, if you can. I believe there's three. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so for a long time, we just had uh, Scott Doherty, who is an executive assistant to uh, Jerry Dias. And uh, Dave Cassidy, uh, who most of uh, in the auto world certainly know, uh, he's the president of uh, Local 444. Uh, but more recently, uh, Lana Payne, the secretary treasurer of Unifor, sort of threw her hat in the ring. Uh, so we have those three now. Um, and, you know, they kind of come from separate backgrounds within Unifor. Dave Cassidy obviously comes from the auto world, uh, you know, a longtime member of uh, Local 444 and has moved up to, to become president there. Scott Doherty comes from the forestry world, uh, you know, so he was a uh, local president with the CEP out west, uh, and you know, for more recently has sort of served in Unifor's head office and has done a lot of uh, bargaining on certain files. Uh, you know, forestry, telecom, and the energy sectors have sort of been his uh, main beats uh, within Unifor. And then Lana Payne comes from the east, you know, so she was um, she came up through the the fisheries union out there, the fish food and Allied Workers Union and has kind of progressed through various roles. Uh, she was Atlantic Director originally at Unifor and in 2019 was elected as the Secretary Treasurer, which who obviously oversees the finances uh, along with a you know laundry list of other responsibilities. So is it possible anyone else joins this race this late? And I mean that in the literal sense. Is it possible? Does Unifor allow for a last minute candidate to either enter right before the convention or right off the convention floor. Is that possible? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, basically they can. Uh, anybody can enter the race right up until the end, right on the convention floor. And we actually saw that. So, I mean, uh, in, the, in the previous two uh, conventions, Jerry Dias has actually run unopposed. And, you know, he's been acclaimed as leader really as opposed to elected because he didn't have a challenger. But in the in Unifortis founding convention, uh, there was actually somebody who ran from the floor against him, just sort of a, a, a regular auto worker, actually, from uh, uh, from. Oakville. Uh, and, you know, she put up uh, quite a fight uh, when it came down to it. And I think she she got nearly 20% of the vote, if I recall. So, I mean, that that's certainly possible. Uh, but at the same time, it's a little bit of a different scenario because, you know, there are few separate choices here as opposed to that original founding convention where uh, Dias really was the chosen person. We'll be right back after this short break. It takes years to know what you're going to want to use for certain projects. People used to tell you, you're going to want a foam gun, wash concentrate, and eco-aluminum wheel cleaner. Or you're going to want a half-inch impact gun, air hose, and an impact socket. But now that you're an expert, you're going to want to go with a company that knows the best way to serve experts is with expertise. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Welcome back to the podcast, where I'm speaking with Automotive News Canada Toronto Bureau Chief David Kennedy. So what happens next? What's the process? Uh, Give us the dates of the convention and, and what happens there and when will we know who the next leader is? Right. Well, yeah, we're heading into the convention. Uh, it's going to be held uh, August 8th to 12th uh, are, are the official dates that we're, we're looking at. We'll likely see a leader probably in the first couple of days emerge. And then, you know, sort of a lot of the other stuff that goes into this. Uh, it's called the Constitutional Convention because this is basically the only place that Unifor is able to adjust certain parts of its constitution, you know, any changes that it wants to make for membership or things like that. Uh, so there, there's a lot of process things that go into this, uh, in addition to just the election, which obviously is uh, what everybody's watching. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also going to see uh, the election of uh, all the other elected leadership. So there's uh, a handful of other positions uh, that will be elected along with the national president. So what do you see as or what do you hear might be the first order of business for the new leader of Unifor? I'm guessing that it's to try and right the ship gain confidence and start moving forward. But are there tasks ahead or issues sort of burning or bubbling? What do they have to do first? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it right there that uh, there's really going to be a lot of trying to right this ship uh, because there's just been, as we've talked about, so much division and just kind of trying to put this behind them. There's still questions about Dias hanging over uh, all of this as well. You know, the the union is still sort of waiting to have an official hearing uh, into Dias's conduct uh, that they haven't had yet. It's basically we're, we're waiting for Dias to resurface and uh, basically participate in these hearings before that happens. So that's still hanging over them. And then just trying to work out a system to prevent this from happening again, obviously. You know, I don't know uh, if anybody, if there's any, you know, real stipulations you can write into the constitution to prevent something like this but certainly that will be the idea of trying to prevent this in the future and you know rebuild trust is the other aspect that uh, you know uh, any i've talked to all of the candidates and uh, one of the things that keeps coming up is you know just this the idea of uh, losing trust among the memberships unsurprisingly given uh, the allegations against dias 
but trying to you know work on ways to rebuild that uh, is going to be priority one uh, after after the vote. I'm curious, does it matter if the new leader is not and likely won't be an automotive employee by trade? I say that because we know Jerry wasn't, but does it matter in the grand scheme of things where that leader comes from? I think it's probably not when it comes down to it. I, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Dias wasn't from auto, even though I think people often forget that, uh, you know, he came from the aerospace world instead, so he wasn't too far from it. Uh, but at the same time, even even over the past few months, uh, you know, even as all the criticism around uh, the most recent sort of allegations against Dias, there is an acknowledgement, too, uh, about how much he actually has done for automotive in Canada. And, you know, I think that and that and that's even before some of the major investments that we've seen over the past three or four months. Uh, you know, the reopening of Oshawa really was a coup when it came down to it. And uh, I think, you know, <laughs> Dias probably has as much to do with it as anyone else. Uh, uh, and with him being not from auto, you know, I don't think it matters. Uh, I think it probably more than anything, it's somebody who is able to deliver those same results that is really going to matter. And whether or not they're from automotive or any other major industry in Canada, I just don't think uh, it's going to be that significant. Is there anything else our audience needs to know about what's happening at Unifor right now as they head into their convention? No, I, I mean, I think it's interesting from the automotive perspective, because as we've been talking about, uh, and as I just said, you know, it mattering a little bit less, uh, you know, Unifor has 315,000 members now. Uh, about 41,000 of them or so are in automotive, uh, you know, either at assembly operations or parts operations. Uh, and, you know, there's there's even some division among uh, the endorsements that we've seen. Uh, you know, Local 88 has come out uh, and endorsed uh, Lana Payne, for instance. We've seen endorsements for Scott Doherty from Local 222 and Local 707. Uh, so, you know, those are major assembly operations uh, sort of getting behind these uh, these candidates. And, you know, early on, uh, talking to Dave Cassidy, you know, it seems like he has the Stellantis uh, council behind him. Even just within automotive, there's some interesting uh, division here that we're seeing. Uh, about what candidate they want to see and sort of what future for the union uh, they're they're looking to pick. You will be the man on the ground. You will be covering this and we will be watching. So we look forward to that. But before I let you go, I want to change gears for a moment. You recently wrote a piece for our monthly publication and our website noting that inflation is a concern for Unifor and its members. How so? Explain that. Well, as we all know, I mean, inflation, I think the, the latest number was 8.1%, I believe, uh, sort of the year-over-year figure uh, for June. And, you know, like everyone else, uh, union members are feeling squeezed, uh, prices at the gas pump, prices for food. Uh, and it's actually translated, uh, you know, it's hard to draw a direct line for these things, but we've seen uh, three fairly major strikes uh, at Ontario parts plants so far this year. And uh, I talked to Shane Wark, who heads sort of the automotive file uh, at Unifor. And, you know, he basically said that uh, we may see more of this. Uh, you know, none of this is guaranteed, but he does expect, you know, uh, these sort of tensions to be ratcheted up by inflation and, uh, and member expectations on wage increases to be higher than they would be previously. So if employers aren't willing to sort of meet workers halfway, we might see some more uh, job action over the next while. 
Uh, and at the same time, uh, Shane Wark was also talking about how, you know, he expects uh, this could also just lead to some, you know, further unionization efforts, because uh, if parts, plants or, you know, uh, non-unionized assembly operations aren't keeping up with worker expectations, uh, you know, there is always that option for uh, workers to, you know, sign their union cards and uh, have Unifor come in. So I think, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, few months for the labor movement, because uh, this is just something uh, that we haven't seen on the inflation front for uh, decades. Never a dull moment as of late when it comes to uniform. We will keep our eyes on it. You will be the man covering it. David, thanks for joining me on the show this week. Thanks a lot for having me. I want to thank David for being my guest this week. We reached him at his home office in the greater Toronto area. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.